0: This is Media Business Matters, the podcast about why recent news in the media business matters to people who love media. I'm Amanda Lotz.
1: And I'm Alex Sintner. This episode is part two of our 2018 year in review. You are going to hear us continue with our industry conversations, make some predictions, and make an announcement about the future of the show. Now to move on to the first industry we're going to talk about.
0: Moving on to theater, then. This is Alex's territory. So, Alex, how were your predictions from this year, from what? last year?
1: Well, last year, I talked about Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. I talked about Frozen. Harry Potter came in, it's a big hit. It turns out it cost a lot more than I would have anticipated. It cost $70 million to put on the show. But that also includes the cost to kick out the prior tenant. Mm-hmm and to renovate the Lyric Theater, which is going to be its home for the foreseeable future. (laughs) Until question mark, question mark, question mark. Frozen also came in this year, but quite frankly, the reviews were a bit more tepid for it. It did get a Best Musical nomination at the Tony Awards, but that might be more of a sign of the state of the original musical than anything else. But that show is also still going to have a nice, solid run. I mean, it's making...
0: It's family-friendly.
1: Yeah, it's not making big dollars that The Lion King and Harry Potter and Hamilton do, but it's doing well enough. Mm -hmm. It's going to have a nice run.
0: So say say more about some of the musicals. It seems there's a lot of news there.
1: Yeah, this year we have The Band's Visit as the Tony Award winner. That's a very small show in the vein of something like past winners like The Gentleman's Guide to Love and Murder or my personal comparison to it, Once. The Band's Visit is a very tiny show and very likely wouldn't have survived. Hmm without the Tony buzz and the Tony attention that it got. I mean, the Tony Award for Best Musical is the only award that really actually matters. Amanda, you like to look at me and say, awards don't matter. I'm going to give you. The Tony Award All for right. Best Musical will recoup your show. All right. I was talking a bit more about the state of the original musical. This upcoming season is incredibly weak. You know, we would have a couple of players that might end up turning out well. Town is getting a lot of buzz. There's a production of Tootsie an adaptation of the Hoffman movie that's coming in. Those are probably your best musical players right now. But really, the original musicals are not the focus of Broadway at the moment. And for an industry that grew on original musicals, that's surprising. Mm -hmm. But there's one more story I want to talk about, and that's Mr. Bruce Springsteen. He came in, Springsteen on Broadway. It ran for about a year and three months. It made $2.4 million a week, despite only doing five shows a week.
0: Yeah, I heard tickets weren't real easy to come by.
1: They weren't. I got very lucky and had a very nice friend send me a code. Thank you, Kelly. (laughs) And I did get to see the show. It was excellent. And I think that's also a function of it was in a 950-seat theater. The Walter Care is usually a playhouse or for smaller musicals. And Bruce Springsteen used to selling out arenas. (sighs) Now, there's also the potential for more artists to come in and do this. Now, I'm there's some scuttlebutt, and I'm re- going to resist talking about scuttlebutt on the <laughs> show, but there's the potential for more artists to do this. But there's also a story here about the accessibility of theater. Springsteen on Broadway was recorded by Netflix and has been released onto the platform, so you can go and you can watch Springsteen do his show. And there was also an original cast recording that was I call it an original cast recording. It's just <laughs> the show. Right. But I guess technically it's the original Broadway cast recording as it has the cast member, Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and the idea of theater being accessible is extremely tough because you have to be in the room for it.
0: Oh, well, and it's geographically inaccessible to many.
1: Exactly. I mean, you do have shows that tour, but you kind of need to be near a major city mm-hmm. to get these tours. With something like Netflix coming in and recording Bruce Springsteen, they also recorded Oh Hello. There is a history of some shows getting recorded, Mm -hmm. especially at Lincoln Center. And we have heard that the original cast of Hamilton and Harry Potter were recorded, although you likely won't see those recordings for several decades if the shows play out their run.
0: Well, I think the other accessibility play ties back to rethinking the nature of the film theater and, and the ability to whether recorded or some sort of live broadcast, the ability to see shows in that context in your local movieplex.
1: There's also one story I want to mention that's worth keeping an eye on. It's consolidation in the long tail of theater. Now, there are companies that own licensing rights to musicals. So when your local community theater is doing Susical or your local high school is doing Beauty and the Beast, they're licensing Mm -hmm. it from an entity. Music Theater International is... One of the major entities they handle a lot of the big musicals. But Concord Music just bought Samuel French, which is a company that owns a lot of plays, and they also had just bought the Rogers and Hammerstein company that owned RH's musicals and several others, several other, especially older school Broadway shows, to form a larger entity. Consolidation in an industry is always something I want to keep an eye on. Why it matters isn't really clear right now, but that's a story to keep an eye on in 2019.
0: Shifting gears then to music, we we undoubtedly have missed many stories here because we don't have a lot on the rundown. I think one of the bigger stories of the year was certainly uh, Spotify's IPO. The follow-on question is, what will that mean? The idea that now Spotify is going from being venture funded, in which really the primary metric was how many daily users do you have, which led it to really push the free tier to, you know, as as out there in the market, uh, the metric becomes much more about revenue. And uh, I think the last numbers that I saw uh, suggested, and these aren't for Spotify specifically, but of the streaming services, uh, 69% of people access via the free tier. However, 3% of the revenue is is all that that 69% is producing. So, certainly now measured by the market, Spotify is going to be incentivized to try to move people off of that free tier and and into a paying subscription. And and the news though here, you know, is 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 relatively good uh, in terms of for the labels that this was the first year that streaming revenue was was greater than any other revenue. And so uh, the music industry reconfiguration continues um, as we uh, switch ways in which we access music. But for the most part, the streaming service seems to be something that users are appreciating and enjoying, um, and it's just a massive change for an industry that had been based on the selling of physical goods.
1: And I'm sure you guys can tweet at us with more music stories that we missed. But now we're going to move on to journalism. We spent a lot of time talking about journalism this year. Our local media series is out there, and it talks about we had interviews with multiple guests talking about the news industry and how it's changing.
0: Everything from folks that have, have followed the transition and worked at uh, what continue to be somewhat bricks and mortar style uh, newspapers to those that are part of a digitally endemic or born digital versions of, of news outlets. Uh, so, yes, uh, we, we, we direct you to the series for that. But I think, I actually feel like I, I remain a little bit behind because I haven't caught up on my reading, but it seems like there ha- this year has been one in which there have been a flurry of stories about out-of-the-box creative revenue models in which there's been this, I guess i describe it as a shift from thinking about how do we change newspapers to how do we reinvent the information business? Um, and recognizing that that's going to look different, whether you are a big company like the New York Times with a long-established record and uh, an opportunity for a global audience, or if if you are something that is more local, um, these particular outlets for investigative journalism um, doing well. So. I, I remain a little, a little optimistic. Um, I do,
1: too. I think, I think I'm think i much <laughs> more optimistic post-series than I, I, I agree. was pre-series. I think that
0: was our, our takeaway lesson there. And so I guess that's a good way to be at the end of the year because the other piece, you know, journalism is constantly in the news in this discussion that's not necessarily the terrain of media business matters, but the allegations of quote-unquote fake news, the attacks on quote-unquote mainstream media by right. the president.
1: And the attacks against journalists all around the world, like the arrest of two journalists in Myanmar for yeah.
0: their report. And I, I actually just saw yesterday that, that the United States has made the list of uh, most deadly places for journalists. Because
1: so. of the Capitol Gazette shooting.
0: Right. So journalism in the news, but on the business side, maybe at the beginning of uh, a turnaround.
1: And on the tech side... We wanted to bring up the scandals that are engulfing Facebook, including the day we record this, another story about them selling your private messages.
0: I hadn't even seen that yet. No, so the opposite of where we started the the rundown with everything that was news last year is still news this year, I, mean, I have been stunned by the quick turnaround in attitude toward uh, these companies. Um, Certainly there have been many academics and uh, industry analysts who have been warning of all of this uh, for quite some time and all of it falling on mostly deaf ears to uh, where we are now, which is um, really severe distrust of these organizations. Time using Facebook down. uh, We've seen the in some cases, the CEOs, but mostly um, other executives, uh, testifying before Congress. Uh, so there, there's no escaping the fact that there there is no returning to business as it was for these companies. Um,
1: like winter is coming, regulation is coming.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I think the the thought that I've had mostly of this moment is is the the historical view that is not at all surprising that I take. <laughs> Are you an academic, Amanda? Yeah, go figure. We've learned it all before. But this moment feels a lot to me, I think, like what the quiz show scandals probably felt like. And for those of you who haven't had the history of television, uh, the quiz show scandals took place in in the late 50s, early 1960s, and these were what we would call today game shows. They were amazingly popular on television. This was early in the life of television. Uh, And the scandals involved the fact that, um, lo and behold, the networks were rigging the games in order to make them more dramatic and to draw more attention to them. And the outcome of that was that uh, faith in television changed severely. Uh, also, there were congressional hearings. Uh, the outcome was that um, as a result of the scandals that The funding of television really at that point shifted strongly toward the system we have now where you have many different advertisers in each show as opposed to a single sponsor of of a given show. So I think this feels like perhaps the, the earth is shifting, but I think this is actually everything old is new again. And I think the important thing to remember is that There are many other ways for Facebook to be a very profitable company. Um, Facebook
1: is a profitable company in so many other ways.
0: And the value proposition it can offer its users can be very different. Um, They were offering the one that made them the most money. Um, And and this is kind of how commercial industries work. But I, I think we've seen that... There have been significant consequences, arguably for democracy, in terms of letting this company operate the way that it has. Um, and so, to be continued.
1: Yeah, this is a story that broke in 2018 that we will be watching in 2019.
0: Facebook is is, is really the uh, topic du jour, but I think this is leading to more attention overall, not only to... The social media outlets, but as well the relationship of our technology in our lives and the relationships between these technology companies and the services they offer and the way in which um, many of these companies are so powerful that they're really able to exert a lot of power on our lives. And I think that's one of the, the places that we do need more attention. Uh, I've seen a number of references to the Microsoft case, which is now you know, almost 20 years, or, or the case started 20 years ago, in terms of owning technologies can allow you to control other industries and lead to these uncompetitive practices, um, and, and I think we'll see more of that.
1: Now, we've gone through a whole bunch of industries and talked about 2018. Let's talk about 2019.
0: Yeah, I think what we were just discussing in terms of of the tech industry is um, relevant to to where I think things are going. To make a big statement, I, I think we are on the cusp of the next stage of industrialized media. We were in a similar position in the early to mid 1990s, in that moment in which you had massive consolidation, conglomeration, and and really just this reshaping of ownership of US and global media. As a result, the media industries basically began to operate in an entirely different way. The combination of technology moves, the Regulatory stories that we talked about early in terms of the erosion of net neutrality and some of these new mergers. All of this is, is what leads me to, to making this assertion. And, and, and I think we've, we've talked around the edges of it, right? Like this idea that Fox and Disney needed to merge because they needed to be bigger to deal with some of these distribution outlets. I think that what we've seen has been the first stage of digital distribution of these media industries. Maybe for, for music's sake, perhaps music has, <laughs> has has reached you know something that's going to be stable for some time. But I think uh, for, te- for audiovisual media, television and film, I think this is the beginning of the next stage where you have that vertical integration, where maybe now studio means everything and you know the difference between a, a Warner movie and a Disney movie because that's the, the differences where you're going to get it. A lot of times, change seems wrong or scary. I think, though, that this is just an ongoing part of, of a process that's been rolling out now for a decade or so.
1: I agree with you on that point. I mean, looking into 2019 of what the big stories are going to be, I mean, we've already talked about WarnerMedia and Disney bringing out their own platform. CBS All Access is only going to grow. I mean, one of the big stories this year that we hadn't touched on was Netflix and Friends.
0: Mm-hmm. And yeah. Netflix
1: signing a one hundred million dollar deal to keep Friends for twenty nineteen after there was a a brouhaha about Netflix potentially losing the show, potentially because Warner Media wants it for themselves.
0: Yes, um, but and I think the degree to which there's been this assumption that um, losing these licensed properties is going to you know be devastating for Netflix, I think is pretty overblown. I think the service saw 2018 coming probably a decade ago and the recognition that as soon as if they were successful that it would be more and more difficult to license content and and so that that you know explains the attention to originals and building up that library and the, and the amount of money
1: they're spending for the amount of things they're doing
0: and the deals that they're writing right so that that shows that netflix is making it's not just about a us audience it's about making shows in the US for Europeans it's about making shows in Germany for people in Latin America it's 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 just a whole different thing and the fact that those shows aren't constructed to be sold again and again and again in the way that has been the norm for the the global television industry so it's 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 just going to be a next stage.
1: Yeah, and I mean we can't really sit here and say how it's going to unfold. Only that it's going to yeah. unfold.
0: No, I think um, you know instead of the year view, let's say that the five year view, and maybe it's the ten year view. But I think five years from now, we'll draw the lines of the television industry a bit differently than we do now in terms of broadcast, cable, and streaming services, I think we'll begin to see different kinds of programming aligning more. There's been mostly skepticism about the future of broadcast. I think in some ways, uh, maybe the bigger question is is what is the distinction of cable and how does it uh, define itself in this environment in which streaming services become the go-to place for scripted series and broadcast becomes the place for events ad-supported, live viewing. Uh, I think that's really, I think, the bigger question.
1: So there are some stories that we feel like we haven't talked about enough here on the show and aren't being talked about enough in general in the news. So yeah. what what are those stories?
0: I think one of the media business-related stories, or maybe it's it's somewhat on the edge of us, I'll admit, um, is, is really the story of cable news. Um, and there's so much attention to... Facebook, given some of the scandals and concerns of Russian hacking, as being and social media generally being responsible for this sense of polarization. Um, But I really think a much closer look at cable news um, needs to to be levied. And and from a business side, CNN, uh, Fox News, they're they're making incredible amounts of money in this current environment of divisiveness and controversy. And I actually suspect that if there are a way to isolate effects, I think the stoking of anger and the creation of hysteria and the spreading of propaganda um, is being far more effectively done through those companies in, in this way that... You know, again, this I think there's a sense that people think that these are sources of news where really they're sources of outrage and uh, propaganda spread.
1: Well, Fox News especially is turned into essentially the propaganda arm of the administration currently in the White House. And when it comes to cable news in general, I mean... There are issues with CNN style of journalism and CNN panels. No, I mean, I, I, I d- I'm gonna,
0: I'm gonna, I'm gonna deny the word. I don't think you can use the word journalism. I, I, and and again, it all comes back to how do you make money?
1: Getting eyeballs through outrage is a way to do it. I'm not gonna say it's a good way because yeah. it makes you money, but I don't like it.
0: <laughs> ah, no, I I'm with you there. So I think we need to turn a much h- harsher eye on on cable news uh, in this environment. I think the other story that is starting to get a little bit of attention, not necessarily mainstream, is, is this question about Internet access. Uh, a new study out from Microsoft uh, found that 162.8 million people in, the United, in the United States do not use the Internet at broadband-level
1: speeds. That's shocking. That's shocking
0: it's actually all part of the the lack of service, the monopoly level service, the lack of options consumers have, but that's how fast the, the internet is made available to them whether or not they're buying packages that say they're spending, you know, they're they're receiving much better speeds. Um and importantly, uh, for 24.7 million Americans, those broadband level speeds just don't even exist. Um and so as we talk about these new technologies. We spend all this time talking about portals. Um, If there's anything that you need high-speed broadband for, it is video access. And so, but this ongoing question about what kind of speeds do we get? How is the internet made available? At what cost? And and at what cost sort of do our policies have on, on our ability to build and maintain this infrastructure?
1: So that sounds like a great place to wrap up our, our news year and review. Now we're going to talk about some personal things. And we also have an announcement about the show coming. But before that, what were some of your favorite things this year, Amanda?
0: Oh, that was hard. I just consumed far less media this year than than is typically the case, I think. So... I will say that I failed at my uh, media resolution, which involved getting a subscription to The Economist and attempting to spend more time reading that than my Twitter feed to better inform (laughs) myself. But the truth is I got entirely overwhelmed um, and every week um, could not possibly keep up um, with that subscription, although I appreciated it greatly. I just wish there was a digested version. But if I were going to... Pick my favorite TV show for the year, um, and I think it might be Mayans.
1: That's a controversial opinion.
0: I, well, I have come to the conclusion that I am a thing that I don't think anyone thought could exist, but I am a Kurt Sutter and Barbara Hall fangirl. Oh, no. I know. Well, I got to pick my favorite. I'm not saying it's the best. I don't know that you can say what's the best anymore, but there's just something about the nature of the melodrama of a Kurt Setter show that just works for me. How about you, Alex?
1: So I want to name a couple of things here. I mean, there was so much great TV. The Americans' final season was excellent and just ended on the most painful, bittersweet, but also beautiful note. Better Call Saul season four continued to be a great showcase for Ray Sehorn and Bob Odenkirk. But I want to highlight two things more specifically. Season 2 of Netflix's One Day at a Time was a beautiful, beautiful season of TV. That show is hilarious. That show is incredibly powerful. The season finale had me ugly crying. I'm not afraid to admit it. A series of progressive monologues that gets more and more emotional. It was beautiful TV that was almost theatrical, in a way, given how it played off with the studio audience. I also want to highlight the first movie I saw in 2018, but also the best, Paddington 2.
0: I saw it as well. I agree. I mean, it's just such a sweet, funny,
1: enjoyable (laughs) film. And the staying power of that bear at the top of my 2018 movie list, even Lady Gaga and A Star is Born and Bradley Cooper in that movie, which was also tailor-made for me as a musical (laughs) fan, falls number two to The Sweet Little Bear
0: all right i I'm looking forward to a, a Mary Poppins over the holiday. We'll see if uh British popular culture from the fifties 60s? Is she, uh, I don't know, era. I don't know. Yeah. tracing back the origin of the uh the original novels I don't know, but anyway, uh, a time that was less cynical yes anyway
1: so now. It's time for an announcement about the show. We haven't really teased this, but we've been talking about it for a bit. Media Business Matters will be going on what we're going to call an indefinite hiatus. So something like the Larry David deal at HBO.
0: Yeah, some life changes for both of us that will prevent Media Business Matters from happening here in North Quad Studios going forward. Uh, and the truth of it is that uh, Alex and I both have day jobs that are allowing us decreasing time to spend on this, and we find that the best episodes, go figure, are the ones that we actually put some effort into. Right. So, the the work of tracking down uh, various guests and uh, doing interviews uh, takes some time, and for at least the foreseeable future, uh, we're gonna take a break. But more than anything, we wanted to thank anyone who has listened. Uh, And to remind you that we have tried to make fairly evergreen episodes. That's part of the focusing on the matters part of whatever's in the news per week. So if you joined us late, go back, give it a try. You'd be surprised how many of our uh, episodes on streaming from our early days still hold up. Almost two years later? Three. 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 We are
1: wrapping up our third year of Media Business Matters, which is yeah. insane to talk about. But I want to highlight our interview series. We have interviews about film, theater, local media, and public media that hold up incredibly well that we we think. If you haven't heard them, go back and listen.
0: Right. I think part of the goal there was uh, to hear firsthand from people working in these industries. And by far, those were my favorite episodes. uh, Because not only, I think, were we offering something in the podcast, but we learned new things, a lot of new things along the way.
1: absolutely. What are some of your favorite episodes, Amanda?
0: Merely because it was amazing to have Alec Bloomberg in my office and listening to his podcast voice on our podcast. Um, That definitely was one of my favorites. But um, both our public media and our local media series, I, I think thinking about how we started with these kind of crazy ideas and then they snowballed and then you had people in your office uh, you know, yeah. telling you things that you thought were just amazing. Um, yeah. Those were both really fun series to do.
1: I want to highlight the theater series where I went and talked to a couple of people in not-for-profit theater. I found that to be really interesting as well as when I went to Cinetopia and I talked to Ariel Wan of the of the festival and a few of the directors along the way and got to see a whole bunch of great movies. That was an episode that really will be memorable for me. But we also want to thank every single guest who came on the show. So if you're listening to this and you've been on the show, we really appreciate you taking the time to give your insight to us and our listeners. With a bittersweet note, that's it for this edition of Media Business Matters. If you want to learn more about the show, you can go to amandalots.com and click on the podcast link at the top of the page. Our entire archive is also on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. Amanda, where can we find you on Twitter?
0: At Dr. T.V. Lotz, D-R-T-V-L-O-T-Z.
1: And you can find me at Alex Zitner. That's Alex, I-N-T-N-E-R. Now that I've said all that, you will be hearing from us rather soon. We're doing some interviews around local book selling here in Ann Arbor, and we'll be sharing those with you at some point soon. And then expect to hear from us when we have time and when we have something to say. But until the book interviews, thank you all for listening. Thank you. We'll be back soon.